And we're so glad you're here this morning. Want to welcome those of you who are online. Hope that your living room is warmer than it is in here. And uh, I want to add my thanks to Nate and Christy and their ministry. It's been fun to watch their journey, what God's done in their life. And Nate always rolls his eyes at this, but I love introducing him to people that don't know him because I love to tell his story how he was, went from uh, 13 years in the prison to the, to the pastor. And it just, people get excited. They think, man, our God's so good. The grace, again, he is good. He's done those kind of stories, but he just rolls his eyes because he worked in the prisons for 13 years, uh, wasn't actually in prison. And so I always have fun clarifying that, have a little fun. And I want to thank Pastor Dustin last week. What a great and timely message. And really, we could do a six-week series on that because everyone almost is dealing with some type of anxiety, depression, uh, or just mental uh, issues and, and things that are going on in our lives that have, have been so prevalent. And I'm just so thankful for his vulnerability and his um, opening up himself. And I'm reminded that God gets the glory when we share our weakness because in our weakness, that's when he's strong. And, and that's when God shines the brightest is when we're just honest about our, our, our weaknesses and that God's a good God and will help us with those. So thankful for Pastor Dustin last week in doing that. I was going to start a new series today, and this is a little bit awkward. You thought it was awkward standing up and doing calisthenics. Um, this is a little bit of an awkward message today. Kind of like, um, I don't know, it, feel, it feels a little bit to me like um, junior high, you know, you're not quite an adult, but you're not a kid either. Or if you have a Catholic background and you had purgatory, I mean, we're just kind of, maybe you can pray us out of this message today or whatever, but uh, it, it feels a little different because I was going to go into a new series. It's, we're heading into Thanksgiving. Tomorrow's the first day of November. And really uh, it's about worship and what we're, what we were created for and, and, and who God made us to be and that we were made for this. But then there's an element, too, that goes, this really fits well with the tension series that we were in. And so I kind of never done this before, but this is an in-between message between the last series and starting a new series. And since it's kind of revolved around tension and also this element of thanksgiving, I've just decided to call it Tensgiving. That's my name I've given the message today is Tensgiving. You put those two things together. Also sounds like a tithing message. It's not. That can be kind of awkward, I know, as well. Uh, but today is, is a kind of an in-between message. I'm, I'm so blessed in this season that you've been so kind and honored us. And uh, this is a great church. Uh, I'm so grateful and thankful uh, for you as this, uh, your partnership in this community. We're all ministers. I know it's called that Nate and Christy went full-time. It just means they're paid by, by uh, vocationally. We're all ministers. Every one of you, whether you teach, whether you're at school, whether you're in the business place or the workplace, we're all 100% full-time ministers if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And um, as I think about, though, the title that I've been given, that I've been blessed to carry the title of pastor, uh, I owe that honor to God. Uh, I'm even more blessed to carry the title as husband to Heather and father and dad to Reagan and Riley last week when we were all a vet. I loved when they were, my, my girls were introducing me as their dad. That's, that's probably my favorite and one of my favorite titles. But the, the, and I owe that to God as well. But the, the greatest title that I carry and the data, greatest title that I have is the title that, of child of God. 
And I owe all of that to Jesus Christ. And I owe all of that because of what he did on the cross for, for me and for you to pay the price. So not because of anything that I've done, but the greatest title I carry today is the child of God. And as I heard at a concert Friday night, and I want to pass on to you, is that God doesn't love you and can't love you any more than he does right now. He can't love you any less. He can't love you any more. And I've been thinking about that all weekend. And I thought about my girls. I thought, yes, there's times where you get disappointed, where you get frustrated or upset, or you have to discipline. But the love's never changed. The love's always there. And our Heavenly Father loves us in that way. And I owe everything that I have to, to Jesus Christ for that honor of being called a child of God. And so my calling and my endeavor now is to live my life for the one who died for me. That is my goal, that is my aim, that is my ambition. While there's that tension of, while that's my aim and ambition, I fall so short of living that life of glory and honor to God. There's so many times where I don't live up to that aim and ambition, but that is our aim. That's many of your aim here today and your ambition. And I believe you're here, I believe you're watching online because there's this desire in you that your aim and your ambition is you want to glorify God. You want to be more like Jesus. And I believe it's the aim and ambition of every believer, but it really should be the aim and ambition of all humanity. All creation needs to speak to the wonder and the glory of God because we were made for this. We were made for worship. You and me were made for worship. It was the plan from the very beginning. Adam and Eve were created to be a reflection of the image of God, to reflect his glory. That's why, that's why they, they were created, and God had given them so much and, excuse me, blessed them with so much, and yet it, it, where they got hung up and where they had a problem was it wasn't enough for them. They weren't thankful for it. They weren't grateful enough. And they began to worship the creation versus the creator or themselves. And, and we were created for worship. And everyone worships. Uh, everyone worships. I was reminded that again yesterday is our annual trip that the Hoskinsons take us. They say pick a game and we go to the K-State game. And let me tell you, if you don't think that's a worship experience, everyone's singing in the same voice. Everyone's shouting the same thing. In fact, that church, they wear the same color. Everyone's wearing purple. I mean, they are united. They are together. They come from all different backgrounds. But there was a service going on there yesterday. We were created. We were created to worship. Worship is when we give all of yourself. Worship is when you give all of yourself to or for the glory of a person or thing. And the greatest thing that we can do, the true worship, is when you give all of yourself to or for the glory of God. And it's what Jesus emphasized when he said the most important thing, the most important commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That is the greatest commandment. Of course, the one equal to it is to love your neighbors yourself. That's how we truly love God, because you know, we, God's invisible to us. He's here. He lives within our hearts. But the way that we express that love is how we interact. So that's why he put those two commandments together. But we're focusing on the next four weeks, the, the loving our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're going to break that down. What it is to love God with our, with our heart, with our emotions, with our feelings? What it is to love God with our soul, which is our, our intellect and our will, 
our decisions, what it is to love God with all of our mind, um, to, to, with our thoughts, and then what it is to love God with all of our strengths, our, our bodies, our physical beings. And today is just kind of a warm-up to that. Uh, and it's a great season that we're entering this Thanksgiving. It's one of my favorite seasons. And it's a great time to talk about this because worship which we were born for, which we were made for, worship comes out of a posture of thanksgiving. It comes out of a posture of gratitude. That's what worship is. It's, it's giving thanks to God and praising Him for who He is and, and what He's done. And so that, that is it's born out of an a, a attitude of gratitude. We were made for worship. We were born for worship. And I have this theory, and I believe I can back it up with Scripture today. I have this theory that the start of all sin, the origin of all sin, is an ungrateful heart. It's not being thankful. I believe that every sin that you and I have struggled with or struggle with, I think every sin is just a byproduct and can be attributed back to this one thing, of not being grateful, not being thankful. Adam and Eve, though they had everything that they could possibly want, God placed them in dominion over all creation. He told them to enjoy everything in paradise except one thing. He, he gave them everything they could possibly want. He blessed them, and yet it wasn't enough to just to reflect the glory of God. They wanted to be God. Worship became, and they became discontented and ungrateful. They wanted more than God's plan to reflect him. They wanted to be God. And Paul makes the same case that ungratefulness and, and the failure to worship God is the root of all sin. And we're going to look at Romans chapter 1 today, verses 21 to 32, if you want to join me in your Bibles or if you want to uh, look with me behind online. And it'd be really easy as I read these 10 or 11 uh, uh, verses, it'd be real easy for you and for me to focus on the symptoms and not the problem, the root of the problem. I have these trees and different things that I've cleared out of my yard. I thought I cut them completely off, and they, they start resurfacing, and they grow back. And, and that's what I'm kind of talking, I'm getting ready to talk about right now, this tension that you, you have to take out the root system in order for you to take out the whole tree. And the whole root system of our sin is an ungrateful, unthankful heart towards all that God has given, all that he's blessed us with. And so while we're going to look at these scriptures and you're going to look at different things, you're going to go, you're going to think of other people and their sins because it's easier to focus on other people's sins and not our sins or our struggles. But there is no difference in whatever sin it is. And you will find your sin in here because all of us are sinners, you will find your sin in there. There's just some are more acceptable to you because your sins are more acceptable to you than someone else's struggles and their sins. And so we might come across gossip and we see we can dismiss that. That's the Christian sin that we, we, we get away with and slander. But it, the, any sin is all the same in the eyes of God. It separates us from him. It all falls short of his glory. And so you might look, and we're going to see in the list, you're going to see the word murder. And you're going to think, well, that's a lot worse than, than gossip. And it's like, not in the eyes of God. All sin separates us from the eyes of God. And it's so easy to focus on what others may. And by the way, most of us, if not all of us, have murdered in here. 
Because Jesus didn't lower the standard, he raised the standard. And he says, if you have hate for your brother or sister in your heart, you've murdered them. The thought of hatred, the thought of not, uh, of, of, of not liking other people, that is an issue that we have to ask God to help us and forgive us and cleanse us for those things. So the first verse is the key verse to all of this. And I just don't want us to lose sight of that because it's so easy to focus on the outside, the peripheral, and the behaviors when I think everything boils down, Paul's saying to this one verse in verse 21, for although they knew God, and if you backed up to the previous verse, which we don't have time to preach that message today, God was, Paul's making the case that there's no excuse for anybody not praising, knowing, or worshiping God because all of creation the galaxies, the stars, our skeletal system, our muscular system, all of science, everything points to a, a creator, and there's no excuse. And so that's a message for another day. But he's saying, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him, or you could use the word worship, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. All the problems that we're going to talk about all the things are the, that we're not going to spend a lot of time on are just symptoms of this. Not worshiping God, not giving thanks to God. If, if we learn what we're to do and what we were created for, that we were made to worship God, that we were, it is the most exhilarating, we're at our best, we feel our best, we do our best when we do what we were created to do, and that's to worship and give thanks to God. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over, to, over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is to ever to be praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they would do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness. And all the list begins, really begins here. Wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. Malice is that thing when we don't wish well for others. When, when we, it's... It's in a lighter kind of way. It's how I wish malice on the chiefs. I don't wish them well. I don't want them to win. I don't want them to do well. I, I have malice in my heart towards the chiefs. I think that's okay. You have malice in your heart towards the Broncos. It's okay for, but when we have malice towards other people, that's not a good thing. They are gossips, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these th very things, but also approve of those who practice them. All this nasty, naughty list of things goes back to verse 21. When we fail to worship God, 
when we, be, when we fail to be thankful for what he's given us, for, for all that he's done for us. And it's when we, when we lose our grateful spirit and lose our gratitude and, and our thankfulness towards him, all of these things are just a byproduct of not worshiping him. And there's no greater calling we have as human beings than to worship God, our creator. It's why we come together for corporate worship. It's just one little element of our worship, and we're going to talk about it today. But it's just one element. But I believe of the four elements to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I do believe that what we do Sunday mornings is kind of a... It's a microcosm of a greater thing that we do in worshiping through the rest of our week. It's what we do on Sunday mornings when we come together when we worship. What is worship? We're going to talk about worship today. And I first want to say what we're getting ready to talk about worship for the next four weeks. You're not going to hear anything else said about singing the next four weeks because that's not worship. That's only an element of what worship is. But I do think it embodies our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I mean, when I left the K-State game yesterday, there was an element. I was tired. You know, we had yelled, we'd screamed, we'd clapped, we'd cheered. And you were tired at the end. I think when we give of ourselves, there's, there's something that that's involves all of those things, heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's a kindergarten in our church. His name's William. He has a great mother. Uh, her name's Jenny. And Jenny Gregory and her son, William, who's a kindergartner, about five or six weeks ago when we had a night of worship, uh, it was something that we as a staff, we just, we, it just warmed our hearts because we looked over and we saw this, this mother of a young little boy with her hands raised, worshiping God, and little boy looking at her mother, and he gets up on his chair right back, right back here, about where Shannon's sitting and where the Calverts are sitting, and stands up on the chair next to his mother, and William puts his hands up in the air, and he worshiped the rest of the time with her. A, a couple weeks later, Pastor Christie was telling me that William was in the uh, kids' worship, and Pastor Christie does an all-skate in kids' worship. Anyone wants to come lead worship? Anyone can come lead worship. Can you imagine if we did that? Hey, anybody wants to lead worship today? Just come on up. And so um, William didn't know the, 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 this song and the actions that went to it and stuff, but he didn't care. He got up center stage in the middle, threw his hands up in the air, closed his eyes, and while everyone else is dancing to the choreography and stuff like that, he's just singing and he's just worshiping. And then at the end, he comes down, he comes down to Pastor Christie afterwards and he said, Pastor Christie, Pastor Christie, I know how to worship. I know how to worship. Do we know how to worship? Do you know how to worship? Do I know how to worship? Do we know how to worship? Why, why do we sing? sing? Singing is just a snapshot, a snapshot picture of loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We, we sing because it's all throughout the scriptures. Psalm 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to his name and praise his name. Uh, why, why do we raise our hands? Things that Sometimes that we take and we, there's things that we do in the church because we've grown up with it and it's just natural to us. We don't ask the question of what someone coming in here might be, be thinking. So a couple weeks ago, we had one of our young teens brought a friend to church and this friend was watching and observing uh, the worship service and he said, why are they raising their hands? Why are some people raising their hands? 
probably thinking, do they have a question? Someone needs to answer that question, you know, so he can put his hand back down. But those, those are things that, that, that we do that because in the Scripture, Psalm 63, I will praise you as long as I live, and in, in your name I will lift up my hands. Now, raising hands doesn't make you better than others. Some of us don't raise our hands in worship. That's not my dad. He's a worshiper. My dad's got a couple strikes against him. He, he can't sing. He shouldn't even sing in the shower. I mean, it's that bad. So he can't sing, number one. Number two is he's a great-grandson of a great Dane from Denmark, and they're not very expressive. Uh, but I know my dad loves, even though he's not expressive. I didn't grow up, my dad being a, a hugger. He's still, when I, I, have to, I have to engage the hug with my dad because we went into Heather's family and they hug all over the place. I mean, it was very uncomfortable for a while and then I began to like it. And so, but my dad, I can tell you this, though he's not a hugger, there's no doubt in my mind how much that man loves me. No questions at all. And you'll never probably see my dad ever raise his hands in a worship service, but I know a man and I know his heart and I know that he's worshiping God and he loves to worship. He just doesn't have the voice, and which you don't have to have a voice to sing or do those things, but he just, he's worshiping in his heart. And so we may not be raising our hands physically, but our hearts should be raising our hands. It, it, what matters is what's happening in the heart, not the outward appearance. But friends, worship here is just a warm-up for eternity. It's practice. Now, singing isn't the only thing we do in heaven. There's going to be so much more, but worship more, especially singing, more on that next week, but Scripture tells us music is going to be a, play a big part in our eternity, that we were born for this. And those of you like my dad that don't have a voice, you're going to get a voice, and you're going to be able to sing with the angels. But these are, these are some of the verses that remind us of what awaits us. Again, singing isn't the only thing in heaven. We're going to be building and creating because our, our God's a creative God. We're, going to be, we're just not going to get tired. We're not going to lose our energy. But these are some of the things of, that describe what's coming. And they sang a new song, Revelation 5.9. If you're tired of no, new songs, you're not going to like heaven. <laughs> and then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, they sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said amen. And the 24 elders, they fell down and they worshiped the Lamb. What we do on Sunday mornings is just choir practice for what we're getting ready for. After this, I heard what sounded like a vast crowd in heaven shouting. And, and again, their voices rang out. Friends, we are practicing for heaven. We're just practicing for heaven. And how we practice matters. Because God deserves our best. And so the next four weeks, though, we're not going to be talking about singing. It is talking about giving God our best. And though it's not perfect... And God loves us. He won't love you any less or any more than what he does right now. It's not based on our performance. Yet God, out of his love for us, deserves our best. And it made me think of my high school football days. And I had a coach. And sometimes he would lose it. Sometimes he would go berserk. And when he went berserk and when he lost it was for this one reason. He got mad when we didn't give effort. It was okay that we made mistakes. 
It was okay that we didn't get things right. But when he didn't see us giving our full effort, he would call it going through the motions. He said, quit going through the motions. You guys are just going through the motions. You can't just throw your helmet out on the field Friday night and expect to win. You practice like this, you're going to play like this. You can't just go through the motions. Get me someone in here that won't go through the motions. And he would pull a second or third teamer out and put them on the first team and say, I don't care if you're more talented than he is. I want the person that's going to give me the effort. I want someone that's going to give me their all, that won't just go through the motions. And our God deserves more than us going through the motions, more than us moving our lips. I have found myself too many times than I'd like to admit singing songs without thinking about the words. Because I knew the words, but my heart wasn't singing it. I, I wasn't worshiping. I was just, my mouth was moving. The Lord says, Isaiah twenty nine thirteen. the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth. And they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. God is not moved by our talent. He's moved by our hearts. A little kindergartner William, I think, is an example to us of what it is to worship. Doesn't know the song. Doesn't know the actions. Doesn't care like David who danced before the Lord. He's just there to worship. Our God deserves more than half-hearted going through the motions worship. God deserves our best and he is worthy. And we should worship like he's here. We should worship like he's here. A few months ago, I think it was Reagan. I, I was debating if it was Reagan or Riley, but I think it was Reagan. It was driving down Hendricks and she wanted me to hear this song. And, and I don't remember the name of it, but I think the name of the song is this because it kept saying this over, What Would You Do? And it was a worship team in a church in North Carolina, and they were singing What Would You Do? And it started off kind of soft, and it built real strong, but they just kept asking the question, What Would You Do? And by the end, the room was erupting, and you could hear the cheers and hear the shouts and the yelling because they were asking the question, What Would You Do? If he walked into the room, what would you sing? How would you sing if he walked into the room? How would you praise if he walked into the room? How would you shout if he walked into the room? What would you do and how would we worship and how would we be different if Jesus walked into our room? How would it be different? What, what would it look like for us? Jesus walks into the room. Would it change the way we worship? Would it change the way we sing? Would it change the way that we shout? Or we'd be like, oh, sorry, Jesus, I don't know this song. I'm just setting this one out. As soon as I know one, I'll give it a try. Sorry, Jesus, I don't like this song, so I'm going to set this one out. We should worship like Jesus is in the room because he is in the room. His Holy Spirit's in the room. In fact, as a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He doesn't just come in this room, but he walks outside of this room when you leave here today. Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, is worthy of our praise. So ascribe to the, the Lord the glory to his name. Worship the Lord in splendor of his holiness. Now, church, let's also be careful not to make worship just emotions and not to make it an idol. The purpose of our worship is is not for us to get something out of it. The purpose of our worship is that God gets something out of it. Now, I do believe that we get something out of it. 
And I believe the more that we put into it, the more that we get out of it. A couple weeks ago, I was in that, uh, watching the wedding of the Iberas and the third song. They sang in Spanish. I didn't know one of the words. But I'm telling you, I got something out of it because I was trying to do my best to sing that song in Spanish. And I knew the words behind the Spanish, and they meant something to me. It's, we don't want to make it an idol, though, either. You can end up worshiping the worship experience rather than God. Jeff Foxworthy, familiar with Jeff Foxworthy, most of us, the comedian that, you know, made most famous, you know, you might be a redneck, you know. Uh, Actually, his daughter, a few weeks ago, when we had our Compassion experience, was one of the workers with Compassion uh, that was out there, a great young lady. But Jeff Foxworthy, you know, he's famous for saying, you might be a redneck if you, I came up with a, a Christian worship version. And I'm only going to do about three things because I know I'm not as funny as Jeff Foxworthy. But if this was not even nearly as funny as Jeff Foxworthy, but the Christian worship version of that is if you're leaving church on Sunday, basing the worship on your experience, you might be making an idol. If you go away on Sunday morning more in love with the experience, the lighting effects, the drums and the bass, you might be worshiping an idol. If you go away on Sunday lamenting the worship experience that it's not to your liking, you may be worshiping an idol. And I'm not talking to anybody. I'm talking to me because last week I was in another church, and this is a bad habit of pastors, is we go to another church, and instead of worshiping, we critique. I came in the doors critiquing the ushers and the greeters. I was critiquing the announcements. I was critiquing the music. I was critiquing the, uh, the message. And here I'm preaching a message on that shouldn't be what we do. But it's, it's something I found myself doing that last week. And actually, it was a, it was a great experience. Um, Riley, this is Riley's church in August. We went to um, Reagan's church. But last week, we went to Riley's church at Kankakee First Church of the Nazarene. They have a brand new pastor. He's been there for about five weeks. I know him. I know his heart. Great man. He came from Oregon. But about... A few weeks before he came, he was in an interview with the whole church in a town hall meeting, and he was asked the question, a year from now, is our worship going to be different? Are you going to change our music? And his reply was, yes, but in 10 years from now, if the music doesn't, hasn't changed again, then that won't be any good either. That things are constantly changing. And it made me think, there's nothing wrong with having preferences. We have different preferences. Uh, Friday night, uh, David and Carla Starkey were so kind to take us for pastor's appreciation to Park City and to see Mercy Me. What a worship uh, experience it was. What a, what a night that there was times where tears were flowing down my face because it's just, we were just nonstop worshiping God. But I have to be honest. I looked around the room And the average median age was AARP. It was me. It was 50. I'm now eligible for AARP. It was, I was looking around the room and I didn't see a lot of girls my daughter's age. There was a few, but there wasn't a lot. There was a lot that were my age. And man, I just, I loved it. And I was thinking, man, Reagan and Riley, they should be here. They would love this. And they may, but the reality is, I... I've been to Reagan's church a couple months ago in August, went up to South Chicago. She goes about 45, 50 minutes to church. And we were the 
oldest people in the church, Heather and I, everyone was young around me, and they were singing songs I didn't know, and I was doing my best. But then I looked over at my daughters, and I saw their hands lifted up, and I saw them worshiping. You see, they're at a stage of life that they don't have parents tell them to go to church anymore. And they don't always, I want to portray it, that there, there's times you did it in two in college, they, they miss. There's times they miss, but they go because they want to and because they're willing to and because they, and I'm thankful that they have a place. And one goes five minutes across town to church, one drives 45 minutes to go to church. But what blesses my heart is they're in church. What blesses my heart is they're worshiping. And friends, I don't want to get in the way of the next generation worshiping God. I can go to the Mercy Me concert, which I couldn't believe it. He's been doing that for 27 years. And I was like, he seemed so young to me. You know, it just seemed like yesterday that he was the one leading the cutting edge uh, worship music and songs. And here, here I was, I'm the old guy. <laughs> Friends, I emailed um, a pastor in our denomination His name's Dr. Jerry Porter. Dr. Jerry Porter was a general superintendent, the highest elected office in our, in our church, and he's retired now. And about 15 years ago, he was the pastor who laid his hands on me and ordained me. That was special to me. He was the pastor that told me, and I keep it on my wall in my, or in my office, my ordination, but I keep the letter right next to that ordination certificate that says, put God first, your wife second, your children third, your health fourth, and your ministry last. Because you won't have a ministry if you don't have those things. If you don't have a wife, if you don't have your family, if you don't, if you don't take care of yourself, you won't have a ministry. And those, those things have stuck with me. And 15 years ago, he laid his hands on me and ordained me. But the first time I heard him speak was 20 years ago. And that's what I was calling about. So I emailed him. I said, hey, Dr. Porter, you don't know me. So many people have you met through the years. You don't know me, but you were the pastor who ordained me. But five years before that, 20 years ago, you preached a message that I have not forgotten. It was at a district assembly, and you were preaching on this subject of, of worship. And I remember some of the things, but could you kind of refresh me? I said, I specifically remember your daughter, and I remember you're telling her story of worship. Would you tell that to me again? And... Uh, he sent me back a quick reply. I was really pleasantly surprised. And he said, hello, Kent. Thank you for the kind and encouraging words. Yes, I spoke of Amy Joe's worship song as the deer pants for the water. Earlier in that message, I spoke about new, how we embrace new birth, new beginnings, and the New Testament, but we often oppose new worship music. Each revival in each generation has used new worship music. We started with the Gregorian chants, then Luther's marching hymns, to Charles Wesley's pub tunes, to gospel songs, to scripture praise hymns, to rap, etc. Each new music style was rejected, but nevertheless, a new generation embraced the new style as their worship. And then he told the story I really wanted to tell, the story that I couldn't forget about his 20-year-old daughter. He said, our 20-year-old Amy Jo had battled cancer for four years, 
And I was with her in John Hopkins Hospital. We had a scripture promises on the walls and we were singing worship songs. Amy was too weak to sing with an oxygen tube in her nose, but she raised her right hand and her left arm in silent worship. At age 17, her left hand and forearm had been amputated to stop the cancer that started in her wrist. The music stopped and Amy still had her arms raised in that hospital bed. I spoke to her and she did not answer as she had slipped into a coma during the song with her arms raised in praise to God. I lowered her arms. She was in and out of comas for the next 18 hours and then she awoke in heaven. Do we know how to worship? A little boy has taught me in the last couple weeks, he knows how to worship. He may not know the actions and he may not know the words, but he just closes his eyes, puts his hands up in the air and he's worshiping God. I think God's pleased with that. I, I think God's pleased with my dad, an 80 year old man who sets the music that's unfamiliar to him, but with his heart encourages me every week and tells what a good job Dustin's done and the worship team and those things. And then he goes and he listens to the Gaithers the rest of the week. It's okay to have our, it's not wrong to have your favorite style or, or genre or, gener, or, or genre. Better be careful how big my words get. God knows our heart. What matters is that we worship him to the best of our abilities. And if Jesus walked into the room today and he is in the room and he's here every week and it's not because we invite him and say, Jesus, would you come in today and be with us? It's inviting Jesus to help us recognize that he is here because he is here. And as a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives deep inside of you. He lives in your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. But it's recognizing that he lives in you. And what if we... What if we lived, if, if Jesus is in the room like this young Amy Joe who lost her battle with cancer way too early in her life, but she had learned, she had learned to worship. She couldn't sing. She couldn't utter a word out of her mouth because she didn't have the strength. But with all that she had and all that was in her, her hands were raised in that hospital bed, worshiping God till her very last and dying breath. Oh, God deserves our best. God deserves our absolute best when we worship and when we worship him like Jesus is in the room because he is. And this morning, we're gonna take communion in just a moment. We're gonna receive communion in just a moment because it's a reminder. In fact, so much of the scripture is a reminder all of us in this room know more of the scripture. The one that knows the scripture the least knows more than what they're actually doing. But our aim and our ambition is that God would help us be more like Jesus, to, to help us love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to, to worship him with everything we have. And when we receive communion, Jesus did that because he knew like all of human nature. And in the Old Testament, they had to set up stones of remembrance and you know, uh, raise my Ebenezer because they, they had to be reminded. They didn't want to forget and God didn't want them to forget. And the same is true as when we receive, receive communion. It's our reminder that Jesus died on a cross for our sins. 
that he was bloodied and beaten and broken, that a thorn was placed in his side and the nails were pasted in his hands. And it's so easy for us to go through our life and to focus on ourselves and me and the things that are going on with me that we lose sight. And so communion is a, is a reminder, it's a remembrance what's most important. Don't ever forget what I've done for you. Don't forget that I laid down my life for you. Don't forget that I, I paid for every sin that you committed in your past, in your present, or in your future. I've given my all for you. I've laid down my life for you. The least that you can do is worship me. So we're going to worship in this last song, and we're going to worship through this communion time, and we're going to receive it when you get the elements. They're, they're next to you if you want to pass those down to the people next to you. And, it might take some of us the whole song to open it up because they're, they're tricky. But the whole idea behind this is, is that we would not forget Jesus. We would remember him. And what if we worshiped him like he's in the room right now? Because he is. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your people today. Thank you for your church. And though our ambition and our desires and our aim doesn't match our ideal. Thank you that your love is not based on that. And out of that, we have a freedom to worship. Out of that, we can worship you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength because of all that you've done for us and all that you mean to us, God. Lord, you are worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our adoration. You're worthy of our thanksgiving. Lord, we go from this place with glad and thankful hearts. Keep us grateful this week. Keep us thankful. Keep us worshiping you in everything that we say and everything that we do. In your precious holy name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you this morning. Thank you for being here. Look forward to seeing you next Sunday. to him.